Today, my guests are Dr. Don Teeter and Martha Teeter. They each bring their own specialty and work together on both sides of the opioid crisis. They work to decrease opioid addiction as well as improve the success rate of addiction rehabilitation. Among other things, Martha is a licensed clinical addiction specialist, and Don is a family physician and pain and addiction specialist. I met Don a few years ago when he was the medical advisor for the National Safety Council. I invited him to speak at the hospital where I was working. He did seven presentations over four days all on the topic of opioid prescribing and alternatives. We had over 150 staff attend. The departments represented were risk, nursing, pharmacy, physicians, and the results were absolutely fantastic. Those who attended recognized there were effective opioid alternatives which affected the way they practiced. And one of the biggest changes we saw was in the emergency department where they decreased opioid prescribing by 50% after all of that education. Don's experience as a physician in an area of the country where there is a lot of addiction and his lessons learned along with research studies he referred to in the presentations opened the eyes of those listening to his presentation. Don, please give us a bit of your background and then Martha, if you would do the same. Sure. Thanks, Terry. Um, first of all, we're happy to be here with you and, and tell a little bit of our story and get more of this information out. So I am a family practice physician and practiced in a solo practice in Western North Carolina for over 20 years. Martha was actually the behavioral therapist. It was a very small practice, me and her and four employees. And um, we began to see people um, who became addicted to opioids, you know, back around 2000 or so, we began to realize this was a problem. And uh, in the early 2000s, I became certified to prescribe buprenorphine for treatment of opioid use disorder. And once I started doing that, first of all, I was one of the first in the area. So our practice was, was almost overwhelmed with patients, uh, people coming in to get treatment. Um, and we had really good outcomes. It's really an amazing medicine for, to help those with that addiction. Um, so it was very rewarding for all of us. But as I got to hear their stories, I realized that most of the folks I was treating got addicted from the prescriptions that me and my colleagues had written, that my colleagues and I had written. Um, so I then began to become a little more of an activist as far as addressing how we should treat pain. I began to study more on it and it just, the whole thing kind of just kept developing. And I learned so much more about pain and pain management that I didn't know for most of my career. And I felt I needed to share that. So I did join with the National Safety Council, um, worked with them for a number of years and now work more on my own. I still do addiction treatment back in North Carolina by telemedicine. We live in Denver, Colorado now, but I do addiction treatment there by telemedicine. And I go to Alaska for one week every month where I do both pain and addiction treatment for uh, folks that live in Southeast Alaska. That's great. And Martha, tell us about your background. I've been in private practice for about 30 years. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist along with the addiction specialty. So when we were working together, I started seeing a lot of the folks who were on buprenorphine or medication assistance for their opioid use disorder. And that was kind of an integrated approach that we took where we had the medical and the behavioral health, which ended up being really um, helpful in improving outcomes for people. Uh, I learned a whole lot more about addictions and about people who have those issues um, in the last 20 years than I knew before that. There's a whole lot of really great information coming out about what works in treatment 
and a lot of it is the behavioral health interventions. So it's been a really nice fit working together where you have both um, specialties. Yeah, for sure. What a great team. It's great stuff that you guys are doing. And I think that like with many people, probably this whole addiction piece, I, I wouldn't say caught us by surprise, but it was in the making, right? And as we started to realize, wait a minute, you know, we play a part in this, the prescribers and the the treatments and, and let's do something about it. So I applaud the both of you for kind of changing courses and then doing something about it to make it better. So that's fantastic. Today, I wanna to talk about the stigma of patients with the diseases of addiction and chronic pain. I think when it comes to the stigma of addiction, many people think of addicts who have passed the point of daily functioning, maybe spend all day in a dark room waiting for their next high, and we think those addicted are weak and what they do because of their addiction is unforgivable, the kind of action that they take. And addiction certainly is something that can never happen to me. I mean, it would never happen to normal people, right? The educate or the addicted are a lost cause to many people. And so just get them off my street and that's that. And I don't wanna to have to think about it anymore. So what would you say to the person who feels that way? And how do you both see stigma affecting the individuals that you see? Martha, you wanna start? Sure. Um, I think there there's a huge amount of stigma um, in the people themselves who are using and in their family members and even among professionals. So I think we've both seen professionals who carry pretty negative and pessimistic views of these folks and think of them as you know those people. Uh, and they think that this could never happen to them because like you said, they're good citizens and all that. Um, this can happen to anybody. Um, it can happen to us, our children, our parents. It can happen to anybody. So, you know, I think the shame is a really big part of stigma. People feel very ashamed and often guilty and embarrassed. Those things make recovery much more difficult. That's one of the things we do when we help people with their behavioral um, counseling. You know, we're helping them work through the shame and guilt and all that. So I think if we don't address the stigma and how people feel about themselves, it really contributes to poorer outcomes. Yeah, that makes sense. Don, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Yeah, you know, I was going to say that, um, first of all, what really kind of surprised me, because I held a lot of stigma myself when I first started doing this treatment, uh, treating folks with addiction. And, you know, if you would have told me 20 years ago that my life would become treating people with chronic pain and chronic addiction, I would have said, oh, no, what happened to me? <laughs> um, but now I love doing this because, you know, these are our folks. Many of them got, as I said before, addicted from our prescriptions. Opioids change the brain and the way it works. And it doesn't take many, even just a few doses. Some of my patients will tell you the very first dose they got, and they they, they probably were addicted at that point because they had to have it after that. So it affects pe different people different ways. Um, but it really is, it's a physiologic issue. It's a, it's a change in the brain that, that leads to, in, to any kind of addiction, uh, but in particular, opioid use disorder. And, uh, you know, it's very much like the disease of diabetes. You know, there's something wrong in the body. We can fix it with medication. Behavioral health techniques help as well because there are certain life changes that can even make it better. Uh, and working together, we can we can do this. But uh, nobody plans on becoming addicted to whatever the substance is they're on. Um, and and 
again, the story I just hear time and time again was I had some kind of trauma. You know, I was in a car accident. I broke my leg. The doctor gave me opioids for, for a month. And then he told me that was enough. And I just couldn't stop. I tried to stop, but my body just wouldn't do it. You know, I, I had this horrible fear, this anxiety, this horrible pain. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. Um, and, and then somebody else gave me a pill that they had and I started taking them from somebody else and they just kind of start down this road. It's all these little baby steps. Um, but these are just normal people. And, and, you know, the cool thing is when we treat them, when we help them with their addiction, uh, they get their lives back. And, and, you know, most of the folks I deal with now, nobody around them would know they ever had the disease of addiction because life is very normal. Um, and, uh, it, it's pretty cool doing that, but yeah, stigma is, is a big uh, stumbling block. And, you know, I will share one way I really see it is in, so for most addictions, there are some medications that help somewhat for opioid use disorder, people addicted to the opioids, the medications help a whole lot. And, and they're really a critical part of treatment. People that go through an abstinence-based treatment have a higher death rate than people that don't get treated at all for their opioid use disorder. So the medications really change that, saves lives, changes lives. Um, but there aren't nearly enough doctors who, who prescribe it. And, and many of the doctors don't want to prescribe it because they tell me, I don't want those kind of patients in my practice. Which is stigma again. Stigma. Right. I was say, exactly. Back to the stigma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think is the root of that problem, the stigma? I, I think it's um, our need to feel superior and we end up judging other people and saying, I would never let myself get in that position. Anybody can get in that position. You know, if you're on an opioid for over a week, you have a, what, Don, 13% of chance of still being on it in a year. Right. Nobody intends that. You got this prescription, you're on it for a week for whatever reason. You, 13% of those people are going to have a hard time getting off of it. But I think there's some judgment. We think that we would never do this. These people are bad people or they're messed up. And we don't understand the changes in the brain that occur because of use. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I bet. Yeah, a lot of it is not being educated. And you're right. We, we all have our, our faults and our sins, so to speak. But um, the ones that we don't have and that especially with addiction and, and we see, you know, on TV and that's the picture we get of people addicted. And it's like, there's no way I would do that. So mm -hmm. it is pretty easy to feel superior, right, to those types of people. So I think you're probably right. That's that's part of it's like these people are just way different than me. I would never end up in that position, but there's a lot of education that needs to be had by those that are doing the judging that it, it can happen. So how do you, what can we do about it? I mean, what do you feel part of the answer is at changing that stigma? Is it just getting the message out to people or is there more to it? So, so I think there's a little more to it, you know, just getting the message out, people hear it and, they still don't really believe it completely unless they somehow can experience it. So mm -hmm. folks who have family members who have this disease and have recovered, uh, you know, they don't hold as much stigma. So it really helps to be exposed. And there's actually been some studies showing that exposure to people that have lived this life and can tell their stories makes a difference. So it helps to have people that have gone through this, this disease. I wouldn't say gone through it. They're still going through it, right? But now they're in recovery, uh, but they get their lives back. It helps to have them tell their story. But again, you know, they start to tell the story and the stigma that some folks have provides them this feedback that gives them this negative experience telling their story. So it's difficult, but there are some people who will get out and tell their story. And, and we, need to, we need to hear those stories uh, to know that 
it is a disease. It happens to everybody. Uh, and it can happen to you. It can happen to your physician. Uh, I know, Terry, in your work in the hospital, I'm sure you saw some providers that became addicted. Um, and, and, you know, they're exposed to it all, the, these medications all the time. It's just very easy. Um, so this stuff happens. It happens to everybody. Yeah, you know, I think you're right on target with that. I've heard a couple of people speak at conferences that have gone through this. I have had some exposure through uh, work in people that I have worked with or family members of people that I have worked with where they've come to, you know, what should we do? My sister, you know, is a nurse and, and this is going on. And so that exposure for me, um, a family friend whose whose son is, is a, still addicted, um, trying to get, has gone through rehab a few times and, and has failed. And so when I hear those stories, you know, I knew this young man when he was growing up and friends with my son, incredible young man. And, and now this is where he is, or this nurse of a friend who, you know, is just part of the family. So the more exposure you get, you're right, that has helped me change a lot of my perspective in, in how I think about it, for sure. And, you know, I never thought about the stigma the the addicted person internalizing that stigma that other people's put out there and having that affect their uh, treatment. I certainly could see how they might feel, you know, worthless and maybe a lesser person. I would kind of just lump that in with the addictive personality and, and just that's why they became kind of addicted. So that's just ignorance on my part. I never thought about the stigma affecting their recovery as well. Martha, do you have any specific examples of how confronting and working through stigma has helped one of your patients heal? Well, I could think of a woman that I treated who had an addiction for several years. She had young children, um, you know, a lovely person, but she had a lot of childhood trauma. So her ACE score, the adverse childhood experiences would have been very high. So she had a lot of really, um, traumatic experiences growing up, but she had a lot of humiliation and shame and embarrassment about her issue with the, using the opioids, which she got started on because of a prescription. She didn't just decide one day to go down to the street corner and start shooting up heroin or something. It was a legitimate prescription, but she had so much shame and embarrassment that it really made it difficult for her to feel like she could get better or um, what, that she was worth like working through this and, and healing and feeling whole again. So she was able to push through that with, you know, medication support, with therapy, you know, with support groups, the whole package. She was able to push through that and has been in recovery for several years. Um, probably what, Don, 10 or 15, we worked together with her 10 or 15 years now. Yeah, probably at least 10 years. So she's done great. And, you know, she wouldn't be where she is if she hadn't been able to kind of push through that and see what was holding her back. But she's got a full life now. She's got a job. She's raised her children. She stayed married, um, you know, and she's a delightful person. And I think she would have been stuck where she was 10 years ago in her use if she would still be alive today. Right. If right. she hadn't worked through some of that. Yeah, fabulous success story. I'm sure you guys have a lot of those. Um, you can never have too many of those, but those are neat. 
You know, I, go quickly, ahead. There, Terry, I think one of the, the struggles I have with the stigma issue in my patients is they just want the medications we provide. Many people have to take them the rest of their lives, just like people with diabetes take insulin the rest of their lives. But these folks still think that they ought to be strong enough to get by without taking the medication. And so they come off of it too early or they come off when they're not ready and they relapse and start using again. And, and uh you know, for me to convince people that they have to be ready, but even then it might not work. They might just need to take this the rest of their life. That's a conversation I have repeatedly with, with a number of my patients. Some of them get it and they, and they just get on and they do great, but some are always trying to get off or they're, they feel ashamed because they're still taking yeah. it. Sure. I could, I could see that. Definitely or being their family says, you're just trading one addiction for another because mm -hmm. now you're on this medication. When are you going to get off that and just live your life? And they have that misunderstanding combined with the stigma that, you know, they don't understand that this is a chronic condition where people sometimes have these returns to use and then they get back on the saddle again. Um, so I think that ties in with stigma as well. People urging them to get off this medication and just use your willpower, but they've had changes to the brain that impact their ability to do that without medication. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Do you ever get the families involved in the sessions and the counseling sessions? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm Tom sure that... invites family members to come in, invites his patients to ask a family member to come in if they want to. Like somebody might say, my mom thinks I'm crazy for doing this yeah. or my partner doesn't really understand why I'm on this medication. And so they can come into an appointment either with Don or with me and we can kind of talk about that and try and solidify the family support a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that seems like it'd be very important. All these things that those of us that aren't involved in that don't really think about, but they're all critical pieces to, to the recovery. You both work together to provide services through your company, Teeter Health Solutions. One of the services you offer is what you did for me at my previous facility. And what other services do the two of you offer? Well, I, I think the big thing for me is speaking to different groups. I, I love to go into hospital or medical organizations and speak with them. And, and Martha and I have done that with a number of, of our organizations together uh, where we go in and present to both the medical and the behavioral health people on how they can address this issue in, in their community or in their organization. Um, so we like doing that. Sometimes, you know, I just talked strictly to a medical group, um, but we both continue to provide uh, direct care to, our, to folks as well, which is very rewarding. I'm sure it is. I strongly encourage all of you out there to engage Don and Martha in a conversation of where they can assist your facility. As I mentioned, the education that Don did was very successful and had a lasting impact at my facility. So their company again is Teeter Health Solutions, Teeter as in their last name, Teeter Health Solutions. And I wanna thank you both for your time today. And I look forward to talking with you again. You had mentioned something um, one of you did on trauma. And I think next time I'd like to discuss trauma and predisposition to pain and addiction. So we will talk again. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Terry. Thank you.